0: You're going to be turning to the book of Acts, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So you'll be in Acts chapter 8. That's where you're turning to. While you're turning there, I'm going to read the Great Commission. It's at the end of Matthew 28, probably a familiar passage to you, but it sets up some of where we're going. We've been in an apologetic series. Apologetics simply means not apologizing for our faith, but rather defending our faith, giving a a defense of the Christian faith. And for several weeks in a row now, we've been giving a lot of content, and I hope that in community groups, you've been able to digest that. I hope in family devotions, quiet times, personal devotions, uh, personal follow-up study, you've been able to digest some of this, and I know Sunday morning can be a little bit like a fire hose, trying to get a drink out of a fire hose, kind of of an idea, tons of content coming toward you. What I thought I'd do this morning is this. With a little bit of a shorter sermon time, because of communion week, we're going to take and and offers some practical tips on how to share this. The whole idea behind Grow to Go is that we would grow in these, these matters, not just to puff up our own knowledge base um, and not give it away, but rather that we would go and share the message of the gospel, and we're going to talk about that. Matthew chapter 28 are kind of Jesus' marching orders to his disciples, and here's what it says. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's called the Great Commission. It's probably familiar to many of you, if not most of you. And around here, we have a play button. Many times a day, perhaps. For me, it's pretty constant. I am hitting a little triangle, and that little triangle means go. It means something's going to happen. It's taking it off of pause, and it's putting it into motion. We've taken that play button and used that as a metaphor around here of what it is to be a disciple. And you can see at the three points these three kinds of things, worship, community, and share. And the word share is a word we're going to kind of focus on this morning, and it kind of it, it, it involves... Some different ideas. A big part of making disciples is that sharing is going on. Think back to, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, think back to a person who, what, shared with you about Jesus, right? You're a Christian sitting in a church today because someone shared a message with you. It's also a part of being a disciple, And one of the things that you can do with your own life is to say, am I a person who shares? Am I a person who shares? Do you know that's a mark of a a Jesus follower? It really is. It's a life of giving. It's a life of sharing. What do we share? We share time. We share talent. We share our money. We share a message, the gospel. We really share our very lives. Let it be said of us that if one of us leaves here, we could walk away saying, man, I've, I've shared my very life with you, and, and not just written a check, not just given some time out of religious duty. When you share the message in Christianity, we often use the term evangelism. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. There's some confusion surrounding the word evangelism. But the Bible is so much bigger about sharing. That's why we use the word share rather than just evangelism, because that would entail that, man, as a Christian, what it means is I just talk a bunch. I just give out a bunch of content to people, and that's not really what it was. Some of you lived through this with us, but we were teaching through this one time a couple of years back and just teaching about what does it look like to worship God? What does it look like to be in community and to live that way and to practice the one-anothers of Scripture? And what does it look like to give that away? It's not just me and God and me and God's people. It's a constant message to go. That's the play button. And one of the ways that we taught this was on a specific Sunday, we talked about this. We introduced this idea of the talent show. At a talent show, what happens? People get up and they express their talent, right? Some have a lot of talent. Some not so much. But you know what talent show is about the fact that hey everyone's got something bring it and and let's see it. And so people walked into this building on that Sunday morning and taped underneath their chair was a certain amount of cash. Some people were given a small amount. I think maybe $5 was the smallest amount. Don't look for your don't look under your chair. It's over. <laughs> this was like 2 years ago and I've checked. No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> And and some were given a rather large amount of money. Now, what a reverse idea, first of all, to walk into church, and instead of being asked for money, you're given money, right? There's There's kind of a flip to that whole thing. But here was the message behind it. Catch this. This is the real point of it. The message behind it was this. You walked into this building. You weren't expecting to receive $25 in an envelope. Now, the purpose of you being given that $25, it's being entrusted to you to go bless your neighborhood for Jesus Christ's sake. And some of you came back with some incredibly creative ways about taking your money and even making it bigger, uh, taking your money and divvying it up, and it was a responsibility, wasn't it? You felt the responsibility to say, man, I've been given this. Now guess what? You say, man, isn't that a frivolous waste of money? I mean, I had no way, the leadership had no way of not knowing someone would take that and just use it selfishly. You know what, though? That's a picture of God with us. What do you have in here this morning that you did not receive from the Lord? That breath, I didn't earn that. I didn't try to make all the parts work inside my body to accomplish that breath. It was just given to me. We don't know how many we have left. This is the idea of share. You have been given not five bucks, not $50 to go and live, but a life, a talent, a message. That's the point behind share. When you hear the word share around here, huge word, that's what we're talking about. This morning, we're going to zero in and focus specifically on sharing the message, the gospel, evangelism. Now, I don't know how often you get over to the Japanese dollar store, but periodically we do. And when we do, we get these little, um, I think they're called pokey sticks And it's not Pokemon, that's different, but it does sound a little bit Japanese anime-ish. Um, and these are little, little chocolate covered sticks that are really, really good. Um, and uh, and if, if you think about it, um, you know, I have, I have not one of these, but I actually have more of them. Hmm, yummy. As we think about a message that we're sharing, we can kind of think about this on some different ways. Does anyone like chocolate in here by chance? <laughs> oh, that's good. good. Good stuff. <laughs> Now, as we share, we could do some different things, couldn't we? We could say, um, do you want one of these? Really? She's waiting for something to happen. I guess you can take one. Go ahead. You're welcome. What a polite girl. I gave that a little bit grudgingly, didn't it? It was a little awkward. I guess you can have one. Yeah, I guess. Anyone else like chocolate? <laughs> Megan. Do you like chocolate? I know you do, but you don't have your hand up. <laughs> now, I'm just going to give you one. because There you go. Just, you're welcome. Um, we, can, we can share the message in a ton of different ways. You can put your hand down, Tegan. Um, here's what happened in my house this week. I was eating this, and I got down to about right here. Anyone else want this? I'm sorry. Since my lips are on, I'll pass it to blood. He can, he can take it. True story. I shared once it got down to that little nub. Sometimes, sharing the gospel, we serve leftovers, right? I mean, sometimes it's really about my comfort, my needs. My I get nervous hearing, and so I'll, I'll give if I have a little bit of extra courage, Then I'll, then I'll give it away. Right. Let me tell you a, a kind of method that I, that I want to do. I need a really trustworthy chocolate lover in this room. I'm going to go with Will. Now, I've got a pretty hefty stack, and here's what I'm going to say to you. Do you like chocolate? Do you want one of these? Okay, I'm going to trust you with a whole bunch more. Take the whole pack, share them with chocolate lovers around right now. Get up and start sharing. The rest of you, actually, here's the condition, William. They need to be sitting down and quiet. So if they're jumping around, making noise, they don't get one. Okay. So you start walking around. As you share the the message, listen, watch him hand out like two, and then it's not that exciting. After that, you can just come back to here, okay? In sharing the message of the gospel, track with me here. In sharing the message of the gospel, it can be a lot like that. Sometimes it's really costly to me. Now, I want you to know who costs the most of this. This is my lovely wife. My lovely wife, I took her pokey sticks and used this for an illustration, <laughs> which means I'm going to Eastridge fairly soon, back to the Japanese dollar store to get more of those, I'll tell you. Sometimes it's really, really costly, and there's a sense in there, isn't it? There's a sense that when we share something that's costly with someone, there's a deep sense of gratitude in saying, wow, this person must really love me. When I give the very little nib part, when all the chocolate's off, and I hand it to you, totally different message, right, going out. What we're going to talk about this morning is this. What are some practical tips? Dave, you and Ben have given us all kinds of content about defense for the faith and all of that. How to help me. Help me give it away. I want to. I really do. But, but, but help me in this. That's what we're going to talk about today. When you think about evangelism, all kinds of misunderstanding. A lot of times, here's the truth about evangelism. Non-Christians, those outside the church, and Christians, those inside the church, the word. They both get nervous when they hear the word. They don't like messages on it. I was hearing from a friend of mine yesterday. We were hanging out, and he told me, passed on what his dad said. Whenever someone came to the door with a Bible, he let words fly that you don't hear in church so often, and that's a good thing. Basically, he was not thrilled with evangelism, right? Some of you have grown up in those same homes. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you are in that same mode today. The thing is with Christians, Christians often hear the word evangelism and immediately shrink back and and feel kind of in the pit of their stomach this this gnawing sense that that's supposed to be me, but I don't do it. A sense of guilt or shame that that I don't know how to do it or I'm not doing it well. I hope this morning, here's my my prayer for this morning. My my prayer for this morning is this, I, I hope to build you up. I hope to lift you up. I hope that you're able to grab onto something that's said this morning and that you can take that and say, God, thank you. That's a gift to me. That's a gift to be able to have that and now go and move about freely as I think about sharing my faith. When we talk about evangelism, I'm just going to look very quickly at who, how, and what. Who should share? Some think this. Oh, that's a cool slide, but not meant to be in there. Who should share? Um, Some think that this is relegated to the paid professionals. Dave, that's your job. That's why we pay you is to go get out there and share the message. Not a biblical picture, right? And so that's a man-made idea, and that's ineffective, and that's not biblical. Let me show you from the early church how this is not biblical. Now, should the leaders be sharing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Speed of the leader, speed of the team, I believe that firmly. Should my lifestyle, should Ben's lifestyle, should the elders and your community group leaders, should they be modeling what we're talking about in here? Absolutely. We're going to talk more about that momentarily. So it doesn't mean leaders are off the hook by any stretch, but what it does mean is it's a sick, unhealthy body and an atrophied body that isn't getting used if if a very tiny percentage of people are engaged in sharing. Look at Acts chapter 8. You're all there. I'm still back in Matthew. Hang on a sec. In Acts chapter 8, I'll set it up for you. A guy by the name of Stephen was just murdered for being a Christian. You know he was murdered for was speaking the truth in love. And like Jesus, instead of hurling curses at those who were killing him, which is what all of our flesh would want to do, he's hurling blessings on them. Who's that remind you of? Jesus. What's he, what's he doing? He's living the normal Christian life. He's mimicking his Lord. So here he is in his death at his greatest point of physical need on this planet. And in the last few moments, he has hurling blessing on his enemies instead of the opposite. And who's there but Saul? Verse 1 of chapter 8. Follow along. It says this And Saul. By the way, this is later. In chapter 9, he's going to be converted as he meets the risen Jesus Christ. He's going to be renamed Paul, and he's going to write much of the New Testament and be one of the most fervent evangelizers of the gospel message. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day... Listen carefully to what I'm about to read, because I'm going to ask you a question and you need to come up with the answer. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Here's the question. Who is evangelizing during this persecution? Huh? It's, it's the disciples, but it's the non-apostles, right? In essence, catch this, it's everyone but the leaders in this passage. The ones preaching the word are those who were scattered. The apostles were still there. There's there's a term called the lay people, and it's trying to clarify a lay person versus like a paid pastor, a full-time pastor. And there's been some cultural problem with that, because what happens is people begin to delineate and say, well, it's the paid pastor's job to know how to pray and know how to read the Bible really well and study, and then give it to us lay people. Well, I want to show you lay evangelism, the laity, the non-full-time leaders of the church, Are preaching the word as they're scattered here. Chapter eight goes on in verses five to twelve and twenty six to forty. You could read about Philip. You know what Philip was? He was only a deacon, and I say that meaning he had a position in the the church. But but he's he's a layperson. He's a minister. The word deacon is, is minister, servant. And here he is preaching the word, evangelizing, spreading the message. Continuing lay evangelism goes on in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 21. We see this through the early church. It's not just the leaders. Are the leaders there? Of course they are. You could read their sermons in print. In fact, I'd encourage you to do so. Some great tips, some great sermons on how to preach the word. But here it is, the regular Christians preaching. 1 Peter 3.15 says this but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect that was a letter written by peter not just to the leaders but to the church body so i make my case quite simply that every christian must share the message The Great Commission, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, is for everyone. You know what that means is that your parents, if you're an adult in here, you can look and see if your parents did this. Some of your parents did a great job at this. Your parents are your first pastors, really. They're your first shepherds, aren't they? They're instructing you. So parents today, I don't care if you have a a child in the womb right now or a child who's a teenager or a child who's out of the house, but, but our role as parents is to be teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us to live by. It's to make disciples starting in our own home. How do I share? This is the, this is the bulk of really what I want to talk about this morning. How do I share? I want to talk about two things, kind of the, the, the medium and the, and the message. The medium and the message are, um, are, are two different things. Medium is the avenue with which you are trying to accomplish your goal. So if you have different art mediums, you have different things that you're painting on, drawing on, using, right? And it's a canvas or it's paper or it's a tree bark or something. That's your medium, okay? So the medium must change. The message must not change. The message is the gospel. The message is timeless, The message is universal. You know what that means, Christian? You better know what the gospel is. I think it's a true statement that on any given communion Sunday, if I got laryngitis last second and I was going to lead in communion, if you're a Christian at this church and I know you to be as such, I should be able to tap you on the shoulder and say, brother, sister, and you come up and just lead us in communion. And you ought to just be able to communicate something similar to what I just did. I'll tell you how, how you prep for that. You prep for that by just even in smaller groups. You prep for that by, by leading your family in that. You prep for that by having a, a lunchtime Bible study at, at, at work in the break room. And, and, and you decide, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, we've got some new Christians here. We're going to take communion here. And so we prep and learn. But you've got to know what the message is so that we're careful not to change the message. But the medium must change. Gutenberg, who was he? Gutenberg. Printing press, printing press right? Your, your brain immediately goes to the printing press. Gutenberg used a brand new medium called movable type where he was able to just take and print a Bible and put it into the hands of lay people, of everyday people. And you know what that was? That was a brand new technology, hot off the press, literally. And it was a brand new technology used to get the Bible in the hands of the masses. Incredible. That's a different medium, taking a timeless message and dispensing it. Times change and we must change with it. This week in the news, here was one of the headlines that came up. Encyclopedia Britannica announced something that they haven't done for 244 years. You know what that is? They're not printing anymore. That happened this week. I start with Gutenberg because guess what? We're starting to wind down Gutenberg, aren't we? So for 244 years, Encyclopedia Britannica built this empire of a trusted name of dispensing information, dispensing a message to people, and they are for the first time Not doing that anymore. Let me just show you a quick little table that can kind of show you an iPad versus the Britannica library that you could go and purchase. When you look at the weight and how you carry it around, when you look at the cost involved in it, when you look at the abilities of it, you see there's some decent technology that would be pretty compelling to not go buy the 32-volume set. Now, I know some of you are hanging on going, don't you bash on print. Let, let that ride. Um, here, here's the point of this, okay? Some of you, some of you are great because you've come to me actually and you've said, hey, when I'm playing with my iPad during the sermon, I assure you, I'm reading the Bible, I'm cross-referencing, I'm checking things out. And I'm like, that's really cool, but if I hear one angry bird sound, no, I'm kidding, <laughs> But I actually really like that. You know what? Um, there, there's so many helps. It's, it's unbelievable what I can have on my phone to sit there and study God's word and to, and, to, and to have it in the palm of my hand. And that's taking the timeless message of the Bible and saying, man, let's write some great apps for this. Let's start grabbing the medium that's here and really launch it forward and do well with things. The timeless message must move forward in this generation. Here's what I hope for. I hope that our young people, I hope that our kids are dreamers of how do we get the gospel message out? How do we do this? This is what motivated people to say there are villages right now who are living in, in the dark ages, basically, and if we could just fly, boat, hike, parachute in, we can get the gospel message to them. I want to ask a question. How many of you know who Coney is? Raise your hand right now if you know who Kony is. You either do or you don't. Okay? Okay, put your hand down. This, this began, uh, I think, less than 14 days ago. And this is a, this is a campaign that, that was started. And I, I want to give this to you. I want to paint a picture for how to grab current technology and evaluate it and say, Man, is this useful for the kingdom of God to advance forward? In the first... Three days of its existence, there was a video on YouTube that had 55 million views. Analysts who look at that say, wow, that's amazing. But here's the thing that was absolutely phenomenal to them is what's called the share rate. It had a 13% share rate. It had basically one in seven people that when they watched it, here's what they felt compelled to do. I have got to pass this message on and share it. I have to share this. That was in three days. This is a very short period of time, and already this is a whole, a whole big, giant campaign. People who track this said this. We've been tracking videos at viral video charts since 2006. We've never seen anything like it. That's from unruly media president who does this kind of stuff and looks at it. Now, I don't want to talk about the Coney the, the campaign, but here's what I want to do. I want to impress upon Christians to say this. Every company, by the way, that's got a message or a product to sell, I'll tell you what they're doing. They're looking at this going, man, what did they do, right? Is there something that we can mimic here? Because somehow this thing's gone completely viral and lots of people know about this. You know what Christians ought to do? They ought to look at that and say, is there anything redeemable about that? Is there anything for the gospel here? I'm thankful for Gutenberg that did something that was unheard of and unthought of and attacked actually in his day and age for what he did. And it was a giant breakthrough that we're still doing hundreds and hundreds of years later. What kind of thing could God do in the, in the brains of our children and our youth and say, man, what's, a, what's around the corner? What's the next great technology that we could use to promote the gospel? Christians must examine all viable levels. Now... I've been talking at kind of a giant big picture mode. Here's the reality. Most of us don't live out here. I think it'd be fantastic if God decided to raise up someone here and like, you know, evangelistic crusades started going on. Someone dreamt that up. Man, we could travel the country and have tents and and, and have, you know, teach the gospel to people. Maybe God's going to use some of that. But where most of us live is in the day-to-day, right? In the relational. What I want to do is I want to hand to you um, a little acronym. Uh, how many kids know what RAD uh, stood for years ago on, on a parenting? I'm not going to ask my own kids because that would be unfair pastoral advantage. So I'm going to instead talk to, to David Adam and see if you know what RAD stands for. What does it stand for? Also, Give it up for David Adam. That was, that was a message from our Ephesians series. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was it? Oh, a little halo, Yes. Get the kid a chocolate pokey stick. Where is this? <laughs> that was from our Ephesians series. That's from, that's from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. And that was, that was preached a long time ago. Months and months, maybe a year, maybe two years ago. I don't know. Now, here's what I know about that. I know that in our home, we use that acronym a lot. Right away. This how children to obey their parents. Right away, all the way, and don't grumble or complain. Now, parents, you're under authority, too, and there's, there's plenty more in there. I keep reading from Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. But our kids know that acronym really, really well. Um, sometimes acronyms can get really, really silly, and, and uh, military is a great example of that, where there's always you know, uh, letters and things going on sometimes, and people outside that realm have no idea what you're talking about. I want to give you one this morning that might be a little bit more complex. It's five letters instead of three, and it's not a cool 80s word like rad, but... It's a word you're going to hear a lot. It's the word share. And in this acronym, what I want to do is this. I think this is, this, is, this is true for most people. You're in a situation. You feel compelled to share. You feel the Holy Spirit nudging you, saying, just talk to this person. Open your mouth. Be a witness for me. What happens next is this. What do I say? What do I do? You ever been there? You freeze? I'm a pastor. I do this all the time. I love doing this. I still get sweaty palms sometimes. I still get nervous. And I go, I don't know why I'm nervous about this. This is is something I'm passionate about. I'm excited about. I hope this acronym will just be something helpful. It'll take a little bit of review. I know that kids who have this locked in their head, by the way, probably their parents have been saying it and reminding them. It's been talked about. It's been in use. And that's how we, we remember things. Here's some simple guidelines, okay? Number one is this. How to share the gospel. Sincerity. Tell people honestly that if they repent of sin and believe in Jesus that they'll be saved from their sin. That's a really simple, really honest, really sincere message. It's the gospel. You know what happens with a lot of Christians? We get embarrassed for God. You leave sin out of the equation. You You leave punishment of sin out of the equation. You don't know what you're being saved from. Hey, I'm saved. Ask a person, what are you saved from? It doesn't make any sense to tell someone, hey, you need to hurry up and be saved if they, don't kneel, if they don't know that they're in danger, right? So a simple message doesn't mean you have to lay out the whole sacrificial system, read from Hebrews like we just did this morning, talking about the blood of goats and all that. that might, you, know, you might rethink that a little bit in that first 30 seconds. But here's what I'm saying. Be sincere. Don't be a bait and switch. I used to have a professor at Sensate Christian College. He said this. Talk about youth pastors. He said, what you win them with is what you win them to. So if you win them with fun and games and free pizza, and that's all it is, guess what happens when the fun, the games, and the free pizza dry up? The crowd goes away. Jesus experienced this, right? Feed the 5,000. People are there for a party. More free lunch. Jesus starts talking about really weird stuff. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, come and follow me. You're going to die. Thins out the crowd a little bit. So, so Jesus, ha- Jesus had this in, in how he shared his message, what he was about. Be sincere, and as you tell them about this, let people know it's going to be costly when you follow Jesus, but worth it. I'm a living testimony. It's costly, but it's worth it. So dangerous to paint a picture of, hey, your life's going to get so much better when you become a Christian. The reality is sometimes it gets a lot harder. But you won't go back. Next one is this. For H, it's his word. Use the Bible. Be sincere and use his word. Make your message biblical. There are a few key passages that that if memorized, you just have it there. And uh, hopefully you hear this. But as I preach, a lot of times you're just going to hear scripture coming out of my mouth. I don't stop and reference it right at that point. But you know what I know is true about that? The parts of my message that I know are going to be valuable, it's God's word that goes out and doesn't return void. So I say, man, if my message has a lot of the Bible in it, and if my speech is seasoned with God's word, you know what I know? I know those parts are good. I'm a fleshly person, and I know my other stuff can get really convoluted. But I know the Bible's good. So use the Bible. Have some simple passages that are there. Uh, Number three is actions. Your lifestyle matters. If I am talking about a life of following Jesus Christ, and Jesus makes this invitation, come all who are weary and heavy burdened and take my yoke. It's going to be easy for you. I want to lift off these heavy burdens. And you come and you're the most bedraggled, anxious person they've ever met in their entire life. The message doesn't line up. Your mouth doesn't line up with your feet, right? And so your actions matter. Your lifestyle matters. You know a giant evangelistic tool of God is the church. If you're known around the office, some of you have told me some of your nicknames. It's kind of fun. Some of you are known around the office as Mr. Truthful, Goody Two-Shoes, Angel Boy, you know, whatever, whatever the term might be. But it's kind of like, oh, you're, you know, you're that Christian guy, that's right. Well, you know, you weren't there last night for this story or whatever else. If, if they look at your life and they genuinely see something different, they say, well, wow, you know what, when, in my heart of hearts, when I look at, at how he talks about his wife, Man, that's what I long to have. I wish I had that with my wife. And the way that guy has dreams and thinks about and, and nurtures his kids, man, I I can tell with each passing day, that's not where my family's going. I really long for that kind of stuff. But it's possible at the office for a person to look at that and explain it away as, you know, maybe that's just an individual. Think of the power. Some of your personal stories of how you came to Jesus have something to do with this. Think of the power when you walk into a building like we are in today and you have a wide divergence of people from a wide various paths of life and you're just seeing some different themes. Wow, how is that person managing that sorrow with such calm and faith? How is this person over here so disciplined with their money and this and that? And what I'm saying is that corporately, we're told in Scripture, they'll know we're Christians, what? By our love. And there's something about the way these people treat one another that's appealing and different. That's a part of God's evangelistic strategy is the church, the local church. Uh, For the R is this, request God's help. By request God's help, I just mean pray. In the moment, you don't need to be talking with someone. You sense it's moving towards spiritual direction. You're like, could you just hold that thought just a second? Oh, great, Heavenly Father, we just pray. You don't need to do that. That's really awkward and weird. You know what you do, though? In that moment, here's here's what most often needs to happen. God, would you take this moment off of myself and make it about them? God, would you help me what Colossians 3 says is to set my mind on eternal matters right now and help my eyes, my focus, and, our con- and my message to be about you and not down here, about man-made stuff. Would you just help me with that right now? That takes three seconds under your breath. And if we're praying without ceasing, we're just in kind of constant dialogue with God, that's the most natural, normal thing. You know what's so powerful? You guys have had this. I know you have. When the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind scriptures, when the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind words that are meeting that person who's standing in front of you in powerful ways that, that, are, that are literally supernatural. And all you're doing is just sharing. You're just giving, right? The money from under your chair, you've been given to it. You're just, you're just giving it to them. You know what some people might do? Get that out of my face. I don't want that. I hate chocolate little pokey sticks. You don't take it and beat him with it, right? You don't chase after him with pokey sticks trying to get him, right? You you let that lie. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 7 says this. Arguments were arising about who was following who. Oh, I follow Jim Cook. I follow Ben. I follow Wendy and and this and that. Here's Here's what comes up in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, Paul talking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I'll tell you what that is. That's really, really freeing. In May, we've challenged our community group leaders, and we're calling for kind of a corporate season of prayer in the month of May. We just want to take seriously the fact that we lean on the Holy Spirit. That's what we lean on. And so we're asking our community groups to come around and say, you know what, Um, going through our study is great. Some are going to continue to do it and work this in in different ways. We're going to still work some of that out. But we just felt a deep need as a church to humble ourselves before God and just pray and just cry out to him. You know what's powerful? I got something in the mail this week. This has been in the works for maybe a week and a half, two weeks now. And I got something in the mail this week inviting me to a pastor's prayer breakfast for the National Day of Prayer, which is on May 3rd. I was like, wow, Lord, it's almost like you orchestrated this. So we're going to see about that. We might tie into some of the National Day of Prayer type stuff. But the month of May is going to be specifically devoted to prayer. I'll tell you your assignment for the next couple of weeks. There are people in your sphere of influence, in your circles, who will come to church if they're simply invited at Easter. That's in a couple of weeks. April 8th is Easter. Take a step and invite them. Invite them to church. Um, Finally, the E. The E is essential. Here's what I mean by essential. Speak with urgency and importance. If I come to you with pokey sticks and invite you to, to eat one, There shouldn't be that much urgency to it, right? Unless you're diabetic and it's going to help equalize you or something, there's nothing really on the line whether you take it or not, right? You know what? Sometimes Christians share the gospel the same way. I'll tell you, I've been guilty of that before. I've walked away and I thought, what was that? I just I just basically gave a take it or leave it message like, eh. God, forgive me of that. That's not... That's not true in my life at all. That's not what I think about you at all. You aren't take it or leave it. You know where this is most poignant and most most clear? When you walk out of a church building after a funeral. Isn't that true? When you walk out of a funeral, what you are thinking about is this. Wow, time is short. You might buckle up quicker than you normally do. You might suddenly realize life is precious and go, man, I want to hug those I love right now. I don't know how much time I have left with them. Much of my life, I'm convinced I'm going to live for a long time. And I look out at people and I think they're going to live for a long time. But there's an urgency to this. We just sang this. The sun will soon forbear to shine. We're going to close in a passage of Peter talking about, hey, the end is coming. And living with a keen sense of that makes you get off of these topics about the rain and the Super Bowl and the finances and all that. Stuff that, honestly, in a couple months, you won't even remember what you're talking about. So essential is for the E. By the way, I would just invite you to read some of Peter's sermons in early Acts and look for these components. Look and see if it's biblical. Look and see if it's urgent. Look and see if it's sincere. It tells the whole honest truth. Look and see about his lifestyle that backed it up. All right, let me give you a couple of things about what evangelism is not, because sometimes that's a a hindrance as well. These are going to go fairly quickly, so you can write them in there. I think I've got them in your notes if you want. First of all, it's not an imposition. An imposition is a burden. It's usually unfair. It's usually unwelcome. Think martial law, right? You impose martial law. You impose a new tax. You know why a lot of Christians don't want to share their faith? They think it's an imposition. Who wants to be the guy going around imposing a new tax? bad job, right? That's just not a fun job. And if you feel like sharing your message, if you feel like sharing the gospel is an imposition, that it's unfair, that it's unwelcome, that it's unwanted, then then you'll resist that. You'll shy away from that. I don't like phone calls during dinner trying to sell me something either. And so if we feel that's the case, then that that will be there. Let me tell you why it's not an imposition. I have been giving you facts about the Christian faith. Once in a while, if you have children at home, play the fact or opinion game to continue to drive into people's minds that there are facts, there there is truth, there is undeniable bedrock truth, and there are opinions that float and change with culture and time and season. And it's really important to know the difference between those two, not just as a Christian, but as a person. And what you're presenting when you're sharing the gospel, some of the tools I've been giving you, some of the things I've been giving to you are to share the facts surrounding Christianity. And so it moves it away from, well, that's just your opinion, so don't impose your opinion on me. I really like Mountain Dew. If I'm going to drink soda, I'm going to drink a Mountain Dew. For me to go and shove Mountain Dew down your throat, rip Pepsi out of your hand, Chris Shelley, and hand you a Mountain Dew instead, you're a lot bigger than me and plenty stronger. I wouldn't do that. But that would be an imposition because I am forcing my opinion on Chris Shelley. What, what if you went into it with a mindset of this? Now, do you have opinions about Christ and, and the Christian lifestyle? Of course you do, all kinds of them. But what if equipped with just some historical evidence about the Bible, just some facts about God's existence, just some facts about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If you were just presenting that, that's a different story. Um, A second thing that evangelism is not is personal testimony. Personal testimony is you sharing your story. Does sharing your story come up during evangelism? Often. Yeah, it does. It's probably part of the conversation but in an age of, well, that's good for you, personal testimony is not enough. Are you tracking with that? I mean, when you share your story, people are totally cool with that. Well, that's good for you. It's not evangelism necessarily. You're not, you haven't shared with them necessarily anything except your story, and your story doesn't save. This is why if you think you're an evangelist because you've clicked like a hundred times to a hundred different Christian things, it doesn't mean you're evangelizing, Right? That's, that's a very easy, low-cost thing. Oh, I'll like that. Click. I'll share that. Click. I'm sharing. I'm evangelizing. Those are just kind of personal testimony leanings. That's all, that's all that is. Not wrong. Not bad. When you share Christ, when you share the gospel, oftentimes it will be part of the conversation. Here's another thing it's not. It's not social or political action. Oftentimes, social action or political action is a reaction to a different age that just pounded the Bible and gave a message and didn't have a lifestyle that backed it up. So you know what the Christian church does? They swing way over here and they say, if we just do all kinds of social action and political involvement, then people will know that we're Christians and they'll want to be just like us. It doesn't work. Here's why that's utterly foolish to go about trying to do. I talked with a friend of mine this week. And we were discussing actually tax issues of all fun subjects. And I was explaining to him just some of the things we've gone through with adoption and some of the the challenges and hurdles that have made our taxes far more complex. And his reply to me, I just loved it. It stayed with me since about Monday or Tuesday. He said, wow, he said, it sounds like like there's a better kingdom coming that doesn't involve kind of all of this. I said, brother, thank you for that because in the midst of prepping your taxes and finalizing all that stuff, you need a message like that. When you look around and you see that things are messed up, don't question God's existence. Don't question if God's there or not. By the way, we've established some of that, but you ought to establish that. But but instead, look at that and realize, wow, we're in a broken kingdom. This is not what we're trying to change. This is all going away, in fact. Now, our social... Action and political action important? I think vastly so. You ought to be leading the charge in making a difference, not only in our immediate neighborhood, but in your school, in your family, in your community, in our world. Absolutely. But don't it doesn't pass as the gospel. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am con- not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What's the power of salvation to everyone who believes? The gospel. It, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That, that's what has the power. Now, is your message enhanced or verified by a lifestyle? We just talked about that. Actions are important. Absolutely. But actions alone don't save. Also in Romans 10, 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a great evangelistic message to, to give. But I've sinned, but you don't know where I've been. Hey, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Really? Yes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, catch this. How then will they come, how how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Do you see how he just keeps tracking it upstream? If the key is calling on the name of the Lord and believing on him, how can they believe in him if they don't know about him? Young, middle-aged, older person in the room today. God may have a career change in mind for you soon. I don't know. I'm not saying it's a prophetic word. I'm just saying. Be evaluating what it is. When God puts a heart in you say, why don't those people have their own Bible? My son came to me this week. He said, Dad, I feel sorry for some... Native people groups who are trapped in a demonic, evil, sacrificial, shedding of blood worship system that involves all kinds of demonic, gross stuff. And I said, you know what? Um, There's a buddy of mine. I just read an update email of of his. He's from our city. He lives in Mali, Africa. You know what I saw pictures of? I was planning for my 8-year-old's birthday party. I saw a picture in a dirt mud hut of him cutting cake at a birthday party. Out in the out in the uncomfortableness of Mali Africa. You know what else I saw is his fairly newborn baby getting a shot for, for medical reasons. You know where they were? Outside on two little plastic chairs with dirt all around and the I mean, it looked like a movie set, and a little African hut behind. And I said to him, You know why he's out there with his family? It's because he felt the same way and God and he's obeying the call of that and he's preaching the word to them. You know what he is? He's a regular, everyday Joe Christian obeying the call to go and make disciples. And He believes it. So it hearkens us to pray for them, to support them, and to mimic that right here where we are. It's not social or political action. Number four is this. It's not apologetics. Can I say that in the middle of an apologetics series? Of course I can. Apologetics is a defense. It's part of the conversation. If your conversations when you share Christ with people are, I just can't believe in miracles. You better figure out how to extend the conversation from that. I just can't believe that God created. I just can't believe in a virgin birth. I just can't believe in the resurrection. So apologetics is coming along and saying, Let's, let's answer those. Let's, let's look at those and investigate those. But that in and of itself doesn't save. What if you lead someone to believe in a, in a, that a virgin birth historically happened? Pokey stick, right? I mean, they could walk away and go, thanks. You know, kind of munch on it and go, wow, that was pretty fascinating, actually. Um, but it doesn't change the life and heart. Uh, we, we talked about three-by-five cards. Remember the three-by-five cards with, with the Bible? People constantly can keep coming and bringing more 3x5 cards. Answering people's 3x5 cards over and over and over, it might point them to the restaurant, right? But it's not offering them the, the, the free meal that's going to that's gonna keep them alive, that's going to give them life. So, so answer those questions. I think those are great things. We're, we're supposed to have a reason for the hope that's within us. But lead them to Jesus. Finally is this. Results aren't evangelism. Don't confuse your role as a faithful witness in the whole process. Here's what happens for me. I go into um, a a setting where I'm I'm to to witness to that person, give testimony about Jesus Christ. Think of a courtroom. If I'm in the witness stand, I'm giving testimony. I'm not the forensic expert, right? I'm not the judge sitting there with a robe on. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a witness. I'm not a court reporter. I'm, I'm this one role. You ever tried to play all roles in a conversation about Christ? I have. It's exhausting, and I'm terrible at it. And totally destructive in the process. You're called to be a faithful witness. You know what's so freeing about this? The results are up to God. Now, you ought to examine your results. You really should. If every single time you walk up to people and shout at them and get in their face like that, and people run, after a couple of years and many toothbrush you know, changes and toothpaste brands, you realize it's not my breath, it's probably my method. I've got to change something. I've got to look at that. Evaluate that. Evaluate the medium. The message remains the same. But the results are up to God, and that's really freeing. Rob, would you come up here? I fear that sometimes what happens is this. People, I've done this before. I've sat where you're sitting. I've watched someone talking and say, yeah, but you're a pastor. You've got that go-to card when someone says, what do you do? You're a pastor. That immediately turns the conversation spiritual. I'll tell you, I agree. That's a helpful thing to have. Sometimes I, I talk about that and turn it that way. Sometimes I don't. But I wanted to bring my buddy Rob up. We're talking Monday about this topic and thinking through some different things. And I asked him to write some thoughts down about this, about what he had just shared with me. And Rob is, um, is, a, is, a, is a business owner, and he interacts with a lot of different people. And I just wanted you to hear from Rob's own mouth. Here's what this looks like in a, in a context of a not
1: pastoral position. Rob. I'm going to read. I grew up in church, and the top of God is uh, pretty familiar to me. For the longest time, I struggled with the notion of speaking confidently about it. There are a number of reasons, but the two most obvious reasons were I felt shame. My version of Christianity was a little scary. My background was in the South, and the more charismatic church vibe made me a little bit embarrassed. I knew God had saved me, my other point, my other reason. I knew God had saved me, but I wasn't 100% sure who he was, and what exactly he had done for me. Uh, In other words, it didn't sink in. His and my identity were in doubt. At one point I discovered who I was in him, and through life struggles and personal loss, I realized the finality of death. All at once my eyes were opened to the fact that the world is desperately in need of Jesus. I come into contact with people who need to know about God all the time. I think of it like cold calling. I'm self-employed, but... There was a time when I worked for other people. I received a paycheck no matter how the company did that month. When I started working for myself, though, I found that um, if I just did the minimum, my family had to make sacrifices. When I realized the immediate value of doing things I wasn't comfortable with, my bottom line changed. You'll do almost anything to feed your family. I feel the same way about people I come to contact with. If I don't speak to them about God, then who will? Who will? Will they grow hungry for the truth if I don't speak? Will there be another opportunity for this person to taste the truth that I have found? I gave an example. I showed a property to a dad uh, who was in the middle of what he called a midlife explosion. He said he planned to deal with his pain by drowning himself in work. I wonder if that man will ever hear what Jesus wants to say to him from someone else. My style is relational. I don't do well in a street preaching environment. Fortunately, I'm in a relationship business. I grew up uh, with little in the way of filters and uh, pretty much say what I think. This this has hurt me at times in various relationships. Uh, But through growth, I've found that it makes it easier for me to talk to people about God. Uh, I'm not an evangelist, but the opportunity to speak to others about God is, is daily in my line of work. I find I'm evangelizing all the time. I find that walking and listening to people and getting to know who they are is the best way to speak to them about God. I have lots of room to grow, but my sense of urgency seems to be increasing more every year. I've also come to understand that my time is short. I want to influence the world I live in as much as possible. When I speak to people, I want them to know that I am different. I want to live my faith in my day-to-day activities and with the people I come in contact with.
0: Thanks, Rob. If we were more African in our services, we'd be going for three or four hours, and we could just hear testimony after testimony like that. And what it does is this. It's not to to highlight Rob. You get to hear from me all the time, Ben. It's just to say, here's another snapshot of that, of, of how that looks. One of the things I loved about what Rob said was, you know what Rob was doing is this. There's part of us that ought to study the facts of the gospel and study the gospel and study the Bible, but we also need to study people. When you're really engaged with someone, when you look across you know, at someone, you're looking in their eyes and saying, wow, this is a person God created, God cares deeply about. And, and you begin to have that same kind of care for that person. All of a sudden, you're really listening to them. All of a sudden, you really have a concern for them. All of a sudden, it's not about you getting your message out, so you say, well, I shared, It's not that at all. That's the second part of the passage we have for our theme verse, which is do this sharing with gentleness and respect. That means that it's probably going to be in a conversation. Let me have Lou and Naomi come on up here for a moment. We're going to just have an action point to this morning, and the action point ties into a ministry that that we're engaged in. I said earlier that social action isn't in and of itself evangelism, However, let me say this, that humble service is an amazing stance to take with someone in sharing the gospel with them. So to go and share, you could share your whole life and people just think you're kind of a nice person. I would challenge you that that that's not evangelism. But that ought to accompany our lives. Why? Because Jesus Christ was a servant, right? He came to serve. Many of us took up our towel, our paper towel, and we wrote on it a few weeks ago with our, with our prayer walk, right? I hope that you are overcoming urban isolationism by just being out in the neighborhood, by just walking amongst the people and caring enough to even get to know their names, much less prayer requests and whatnot. One of the ways that we do that is through a ministry called Love Inc. We're blessed with uh, Rich Henderson. Who's who's the CEO, Grand Chief? What's your title? Director. Director. Okay. <laughs> I always want to fluff it up a little bit. Um, Pontiff Rich is uh, no. Um, and and he sits in our church. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, Loving's essential um, uh, thought or 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 strategy is this. If um, man, I'm going to butcher this now. Rich, I, I had this. Basically this, if Christians knew there were legitimate needs in their community that they could help with, that they would long to jump at that and, and help meet those. Love Inc. has been there to say, let's get these resources connected and do that together. The reason I have these two lovely ladies up here is because of this. We're doing a baton handoff right here in church. Okay? This is in preparation for the Olympics. And I want to I communicate two big ideas here. Okay? Here's one. One is that... Naomi has been our Love Inc coordinator at this church. That means when Love Inc gets a call, they have screened the call and said, this is a legitimate need. We're going to call one of our partner churches. We're a partner church of Love Inc. So they call, instead of calling a hundred different people, they call one person. They call Naomi. Naomi then understands, she has our talent survey, she has resources at her fingertips to know who Who is good at what and who does what? So she receives that phone call, and then she calls some of you. I got a report from Rich this week, from Love, Inc., about all the different things that have gone on. It's awesome. From a friendly visit to to taking to medical appointments, to hanging curtains, to fixing fences, to driving to go shopping. And some of you do this just, it's gone off the radar now of Love, Inc. It's just just built into your day and week. I want to say, as a pastor, I'm super proud of the work God is doing through you, church body, and and this super encouraging report. Naomi is going to be handing off this position to Lou Toller. Some of you know Lou, some of you don't. But Lou is going to be our new Love Inc. coordinator. I'm bringing both of them up here to say, one, thank you, Naomi, for a job well done and for stepping (laughs) it up. This is proof positive that you can leave a church ministry without making the news and without leaving the church, okay? Some people don't want to sign up for a position because they're like, last time I did that, they left me there for 22 years. She's handing the baton off because she's reevaluated and she's going to be plugging into some other uh, things going on. Lou, I want you to give it up for Lou Toller as well. Um, we, we needed a new face and a new voice uh, for Loving Coordinator, and she willingly stepped in and, and did that. So ladies, thank you very much. And you'll be hearing from Lou soon, I'm sure. So thank you. As the band makes their way up, I want to call the band up. Um, I need our ushers to pass out um, talent surveys. Um, let me tell you this: once about every, it's probably been every year and a half we've done this. Uh, we 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 just invite our people to write down different talents they may have. And here's my precursor to this. If you have ever filled out a talent survey at Neighborhood Bible Church, here's what we do with this, okay? Those are being shredded. All right? They're gone. What we want is we want willing servants with this so that when Lou calls you, you have re-upped today and said, yes, I do want to serve. Yes, I do have a big van that I can pick people up from the airport at. Yes, I do. I am pretty handy and I've got a drill and I like to help people who can't help themselves in that area. So today... As we're closing, this is not me grabbing your arm, twisting it up behind you and saying, you better serve. Okay? This is you as an act of worship to say, oh, I'd love to give my gifts willingly and share my talent as a means of being a faithful and obedient servant of Jesus Christ. A few pointers on the back table, you're not going to get handed this, but on the back table is a list of about 20 things that make a volunteer at Love, Inc. successful. And here are a few of the things in case you're wondering and worried about it and don't want to turn this in quite yet. One is this. Love, Inc. volunteers are instructed not to hand out any money. This won't cost you, as you go serve, anything but gas and time and emotional investment in the sense of befriending them. Secondly, they are the ones seeking out the help through Love, Inc. So if, they, if you show up to the door and you're there to mow the front and back lawn, and they have a list of 25 extra things around the house, what do you do with that? You say, thank you very much. This is the need that I came to meet. This has all been very well thought out. There are dozens of people in this room who have gone and done these things, Talk to them and, and get uh, get input from them. But that's the model behind Love, Inc. And this is a, this is your action point. This is an action point flowing out of this. Uh, what to do with this paper. If you fill it out and you're ready to turn it in today, before you leave, would you please come after the service is over and just put it on the stage? Just come and lay it up here. That way we'll know. If you want to hang on to that, think about it some more, bring it back in the next couple weeks, do that anytime during the week. That would be fantastic. Let me pray. And then we'll close in some song. 1 Peter 4.7 says this, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Are you called to be a speaker? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all your strength and energy that God supplies. Then God will be given glory in everything through Jesus Christ. All glory and power belong to him forever and ever. Amen. God, we need you in every ounce of this instruction that we were just given. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be in your family. We thank you, God, that we get to mimic a generous, loving, sharing God. God, I feel empowered this morning that you long for your message to get out. I pray that my friends in this room would feel empowered that as we share, as we faithfully are witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we be convinced and know that you want to get that message out. You want to empower us in that. Would you take us in our, at times, stumbling steps and walk with us and teach us and instruct us as we go, as we share our faith with others. We love you and we thank you, God, for those faithful men, faithful women, who shared with us in the first place so that we could understand and know the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.